0: Um, I want you to close your eyes and I'm gonna share my screen and I'll invite you to open when I think I'm ready to go. All right, everyone with your eyes closed. Okay, and one, two, three. Now open your eyes. Um, As a true millennial, I'm usually on several text chains at the same time. And I was amazed um, over the last week, how many people sent me this picture. I don't know if you could read it on my screen, it says, me looking outside to see what chapter of Revelation we're doing today. Um, There's a lot going on in our world. There is a lot going on, um, not just in our families, um, not just in our communities, but really in our country. Um, There's a lot going on when it comes to COVID season. Um, There's a lot of you who have been impacted at home, at work, church, we're doing via Zoom. Um, there's a lot going on when it comes to racial justice. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were protesting not being allowed to go outside, you know, and marching on capitals. And, and now we're protesting racial justice. There's a lot of people across the board who are filled with angst, who are filled with anger, who are filled with stress. And I think for the most part, all of us are, are filled with the unknown. Um, and, and as much as I laugh about that meme about what chapter of Revelation we're doing today, Um, I've been reminded by a longtime friend of Tara Road um, and a lot of us personally, Audrey Asad. In her Inheritance album, she kind of helped me rediscover the love for this hymn, How Can I Keep From Singing? And that's kind of been my prayer through some of these seasons. That and Psalm 91 has really carried me through. Um, There's a lot of us who are facing this unknown, who are facing um, just a lot of struggle right now and trying to piece it all together. But I just want to invite you as we go through this season to take a deep breath, and remember Christ is still Lord of heaven and earth. And when it gets too much, take another deep breath and remember that Jesus' love is what leads us now, like it's always done. All right, from our second exercise before we get going, um, I have to apologize, this is gonna be completely ageist. Um, if you weren't born, then you don't have to worry about it. But I want everyone to just go back in their mind to um, 1999. Uh, I, I'm gonna to try to be bold enough to have one or two people share, but when I say 1999, what do you remember from 1999 or what is some memory that you think when you think of 1999? I know I didn't give you guys prep ahead of time, but um, I was just very, very curious. 1999. Um, so if you have something to share, we'll try to keep it one or two sentences, um, but maybe unmute yourself and share real quick. But when you think of 1999, uh, what pops in your mind? If you were alive, if you weren't Y2K. alive, Y2K, someone said, I think. All right. Anyone else? My father died in 1999, okay. Josh was a guide in 1999, and we were all worried about Y2K. Okay. My parents kept talking about how, oh man, like what's going to happen to the calendar, just like the digits? Is it going to go like and cycle to like zeros again, or what's going to happen with the digits? <laughs> I was very young then. Oh, I was pregnant with Christopher. He, he, he was born in January. <laughs> I think I was in kindergarten or preschool or something. Good. Thank you guys for sharing. Um, so one of the reasons I wanted to start there is because um, this week, you know, when I thought about this passage we're going to look at, which is Micah 6, 1 to 8, um, I thought about 1999. When I think of 1999, um, I don't think of Y2K. Um, I think mostly because I probably knew Alan Wilkes was going to solve it all, so I was good you know so i wasn't that worried about it i just felt like i had really good backup um but when i think of 1999 um what what comes to mind first is the name amadou diallo amadou diallo was um uh, a guinean american i guess i don't know if he was american but he was guinean so he was from west africa um which so there was that connection because i'm liberian i'm from west africa amadou was actually born in liberia so that was another uh connection he was an immigrant, he was a refugee, he lived in New York City. So that was another connection. So even though at the time I was a junior in high school living in Philadelphia, um, there was that kinship almost. You know, It's like, wow, he was born in the country I was born in. Wow, he's in New York City. I used to live outside New York City. Um, wow, he's black, I'm black. Um, and if you remember the story of Amadou Diallo, it was in February, 1999, um, and he was unarmed. He was outside of an apartment building and um, some plainclothes officers thought that he was, um, a, um, I guess they, they, they thought he was a, a suspect in a case that they were working on and it ended up in his tragic death. And I remember this story in 1999 because when I first landed in America, you land with this idea that this is the land of opportunity. Um, and I think I had been in America for seven years at that point and what I'm starting to learn about America too is that as much as this is the land of opportunity, it's not always the land of opportunity for all of us. And I think what Amadou Diallo really kind of fortified in me was this question that I think I've been wrestling with for, since that point for now 21 ye- um, years. And that question is simply, does America care about Black death? Does the church do Christians? And then when we look in uh, passages like micah 6 1 to 8 the question becomes where is justice mercy and peace in this so if you have your bibles turn with me to micah 6. Uh, my translation is going to be slightly different than yours um, and that's okay because it's literally my translation Uh, one of the joys of going to seminary is you get to take hebrew and you have to have fun with it so My idea of having fun was translating this Micah 6, 1 to 8. So I think it's mostly the same, but it is going to be slightly different. Um, If you don't have your Bibles, I think I can, I'll share my screen. And you can just read along on my, or you can follow along my screen as well. Um, That might be easier. So Micah 6, 1 to 8, and then I'll open us in prayer. Please hear what the Lord has to say. Stand up and plead my case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you, O mountains, the Lord's God's case. Listen, you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord God has a case against his people. He will be proven right before Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? Have I grieved or offended you? Please testify against me. For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and from the house of slavery. I ransomed you. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, please remember what Balak the destroyer, king of Moab, plotted against you. How Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord God. With what shall I come before the Lord God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Shall I come before him with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give up my firstborn for my rebellion? Shall I give up the fruit of my body for the sin of my entire being? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require or ask from you? To do God's justice, to love the way God loves, and to walk in peace and shalom humbly with your God. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you this morning that as your people, we're tasked with looking like you, we're tasked with loving like you, we're tasked with living like you. So Lord Jesus, we pray now for this time together. Holy Spirit, continue to speak in us and speak to us. Bless this time together as we look at what it means to glorify our Father, what it means to live and let our light so shine that our world may see and glorify him as well. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for your justice. In your holy and precious name, amen. So the book of Micah um, is is fascinating because what's happening in the background here is that Israel has been split. Uh, It's been split into two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom, which is the ten tribes that reject their Rehoboam, and then there's the southern kingdom, which Benjamin usually joins. uh, Usually, Benjamin eventually joined with Judah. The reason for the split is listed because of Solomon's sin. Um, but it's also because of the people's sin. So there's a lot of people who will tell you, well, Solomon didn't always keep his eyes on the Lord and he didn't follow, so God took the kingdom away from him. But if you read the entire book of Micah, which I invite you to do this week, you'll see that the sin isn't just on the leader, it's on the people. And there's this idea that's going through Micah that God is going to hold his people responsible for looking like him. God isn't gonna just put it on the leaders and say, it's the leader's fault. But if you follow Jesus, if you follow God, you are tasked with looking like him. And the book of Micah makes it not just Solomon's foot, these are some of the things it says in Micah. You know, He is um, writing about allegations and warnings against the people of God. God actually in the book of Micah comes down like it is on Sinai, but he comes down now not to give the 10 commandments or the law, but to give judgment. And what was God angry about? Well, he was angry that the country was built its richness by taking advantage of the poor. He was angry that the rich kept getting richer and the poor kept getting poorer. For us as Americans, we don't have to look that far to say, is God angry about this? Because we have a country that was built on us taking land that didn't belong to us and on free labor. So we can really put ourselves into this book of Micah because God comes down, he's angry at his people for building their country on the backs of the poor. The second thing that God seems to be really angry about is that the prophets and the church leaders, the people we're supposed to look up to, um, are only making promises for the rich. They're only making promises for people they seem to really care about. The leaders, even in the church and and in the, the country, are violating the Torah. And God is coming and saying, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. You've built your country on the backs of the poor you keep making the rich richer and the poor poorer, you keep forgetting the least of these among you, and judgment is coming. But what's fascinating about this book of Micah, though, is that as much as God is saying judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, he wants the people to know they have sinned greatly, that yes, judgment is coming, but God's salvation is also provided. And then comes Micah 6, 1 to 8, which is probably The famous passage in Micah. You know, I always laugh. um, And when I think about my Sunday school teachers, um, they were such a blessing to me. Um, And and one of the things that they did really, really well was I used to get really excited about going to Camp Corner every year. And this is before Google. So I'm really impressed that they did this. So they actually had to know the scriptures, you know. They couldn't just type in Google, what are best verses for teenagers to know, right? Like they actually did the work of the scriptures. And so I memorized Micah 6, 8 and Micah 6, 1 to 8, one year as part of my list of verses. You know, to go to Camp Rearcoin, I think they would pay for a week of camp or maybe two weeks of camp if you memorize like 20 or 50 verses. And, you know, so I have um, not necessarily a photographic memory, but I'm very much tutored in the American system where I can put the information in and dump it out. So I was really good at this, you know? And I thought the joke was on them because I would quickly memorize on my way to church, say it, and get my check mark. But all these years later, these verses have remained with me, you know? So it's like they outsmarted me. All my, my, my Sunday school teachers, they all outsmarted me. And, and so this is a verse and a passage that's really familiar to us. But I want us to go back and, and kind of get the scene of what's happening. In Micah 6, God is is angry at what the people falling apart and the people are not following him, but he puts his people on trial. Like That's what's happening. God is saying, if you follow me, you don't just have to worry about your individual judgment and, and accountability, but you as a people are on trial. And he goes and he says, look at the mountains, look at the hills. They go on forever. They've been here for generations. They can see how you've treated me. In fact, they're my witnesses. And then God does something that he, he, he does a lot in the Old Testament is he recites his resume. He gives his resume. He gives his record. He says, I am not just, you know, the, the, the scorned lover. I'm not just your father who you've disappointed. I'm the God of this world. I'm the one who reached down and pulled you out of Egypt. I'm the one who thought you needed leadership. So I send it not just in Moses and Aaron, but also in Miriam to lead you. I'm the one who led you on that journey from, from, from Egypt to the promised land. I'm the one who's always been there. And then he does something that I think is, is very common with all of the prophets, right? God seems to not like our worship if our lives don't look like him. And obviously we can say worship is all of our lives, right? And I'm not, I'm not you know, arguing against that point. Worship is all of our lives. But what God is talking specifically in this Micah passage and what the prophets are talking about is do not enter the house of the Lord ready to worship if you're not living lives that look like Jesus, that look like God. And God, in fact, scoffs at their worship. He scoffs at their songs. He scoffs at their sacrifice. Why? Because they do not look like him. And how do we look like him? The answer is simply do justice like I do justice, love mercy like I give mercy, and live in peace. So the two things I want us to kind of hold on to this morning is simply this. God calls and expects every one of us who say we follow Jesus to look like God and not our world. And that's really, really hard for us because our society and our culture has all these other things that we default into as our identity. You know, it might be what we look like. It might be what we're from. It might be who, which political leader that more aligns with who we are. We have, it might be where we live, our socioeconomic status. There's all these things we have in our world and in our country that we find unity in. But one thing that I always remember is simply this God calls all of us to primarily look like Him and not our world. John was Jesus's best friend. And he reminds us in 1 John 3, if we do right, if we look like Jesus, we look like God. But if we live wrong lives, and we live unfaithful lives, and we don't look like Jesus, we look like our father, the devil. To me, that is a very, very strong word. And it's a word that really wakes me up, right? When I'm not being faithful to God, I'm not looking like God. And I think most of us understand that. But what John is saying, and he's echoing something that Jesus taught in the Gospels too, when you don't look like Jesus, you either look like God the Father or you look like the devil, that's the two options. So when we think about mercy, when we think about justice, when we think about peace, it's not about you know, what we think necessarily. It might not even be about where we align politically, socioeconomically, or as a family. The options according to John, the person who knew Jesus the most, right? You have to remember Jesus spoke to hundreds of thousands, maybe graciously we'll say tens of thousands believed, um, 72 was what he sent out. He discipled 12, or if you wanna be real liberal and think Judas didn't get the message, you'll say 11, right? Um, he had an inner circle of four, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And then John was his best friend. And the person who knew Jesus the most said, if you don't look like God, you look like the devil. So what does looking like God look like? And Micah 6 eight gives the answer. Do justice like God does justice. So how does God do justice? Even in his law, he made provision for the poor, for the orphan, for the least of these. Even in the law that he wrote, a lot of us, when we look at the law, we say like, man, these seem so restrictive. But a healthier way to look at the Old Testament law is that God cares not just about what you say, but how you live. And God was after people who looked like him. Law is important because God provided law to take care of the people society leaves behind. So that's one way we can do justice. You know, a lot of people tell me all the time, you know, you can't legislate morality. And I fight back on that because I really think you could. And I think God does all the time. And God literally forced his people to take advantage of the poor, the widows, and the orphans. He put that in the law and said, if you're not doing that, you don't look like me, right? The second thing that's important about that is, you know, I've been studying Ruth um, for the last week or two. And if you look at the story of Ruth, it's an immigrant journey. You have people who are under famine in Israel and Judah, and they go to Moab, which is a big step for them because you were supposed to have nothing to do with Moab, right? And they go to this land and they set, establish a home and then tragedy happens. And it's a reminder to all of us that when sometimes when people come to our borders, it's not usually their first choice. They're either running from pain, from famine, from struggling, and God legislates for his people to care for the immigrant. There's more in our Bible that says that we should love and care for the immigrant than that says Jesus is God. And I want you to think about that. And you can Google and look it up for me. There's more in our Bible that says we need to care for the least of these, right? The verses that we take, obviously, we believe that Jesus is God. But the verses we take that Jesus is God, we can probably count about 10, maybe 15, but it's way more than 15 verses to care for the immigrant. So that's one way God forces us to do his justice. The other way is in Ezekiel 34, real quick, and that that passage we always take as, you know, this is the message to the shepherds. How are you leading the people? Are you leading the people right? Are you leading the people right? And what I wanna remind us is that God's desire wasn't just to only look at our leaders or our elders. We are all a kingdom of priests. We're all prophet, priests, and kings and queens in God's kingdom. So all of us are shepherding the people. So when you look at your family, when you look at the people under your influence, God is going to hold you accountable. Do you look like him or do you look like our world? We are called to do justice. We're also called to love mercy. Mercy here is the Hebrew word for hesed. Uh, It's the Hebrew word hesed and the Greek call it agape. Um, It's basically this idea of always working for the good of someone else. That's what mercy is. Mercy is not, as we think about it in the modern thing, is like, oh, I'll let that slide. No, it's always working for the good. It's the agape love, the hesed love. And what does God mercy look like? Remember, he called Israel his treasured possession. And I love this because what it means, um, for those of us who are really good at budgeting, you might understand this, um, but what it means is, you know, after the idea here was like, after you, you make your budget, you figure out everything that's coming in, after you figure out everything that's going out, after you figure out, you know, what savings, what this, what that, what that, Uh, hopefully within your budget, there's a little bit of money there, you know, for some of us, depending on where we are financially, it might just be a free $50 that you can do anything you want with that month or a free $10, right? The idea of treasured possession was That money, after everything goes out, right, that little money that's left that you can do anything with that brings you so much joy, that's how God looks at his people. And I've always loved that because the idea was like, oh, my goodness, that joy that I feel for me, you know, it might be something silly as like buying a new video game or something, right? But the joy I feel, right, is the joy that God feels every time he looks at his people because we are indeed his treasured possession. What does the hesed look like? It looks like him pulling people out of Egypt. It looks like him providing for Ruth. It looks like God going to his people and saying, you are mine and you are mine forever. And then he talks about peace, which is the Hebrew idea of shalom. And this is the idea that, yes, we have peace with God. But if we want to look like God, the peace has to be with God. It has to be with our brother and our sister. It has to be with creation. It has to be with the world around us. So if we're going to say God is putting us on trial this morning, the first question becomes, what laws are we hoping to be passed? What are we working for? And if we find laws that we find that are unfair to the least of these, to the marginalized, to the poor, are we willing to step up? Are we willing to fight for what God's justice look like? And we think about and we think about love and grace. How are we loving the least of these? How are we loving the people that society lives behind? and we think about peace you know i love when people say our country is so divided and i always remind them no we're not we just have instagram and twitter and and then phones now so you can see our country has always been divided but it's okay we need god and we need each other and my scripture tells us that god calls us to be peacemakers you now i love a lot of people love martin luther king One fun exercise you could do this week is to look at Martin Luther King's approval ratings in the 60s and 70s, right? When we say our country's more divided than ever, I don't necessarily agree with that. I just think we have access to that. But I also think it doesn't matter as much as Jesus who says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Where we see division, are we sowing fruit that looks like Jesus? Micah 6, 8, just this reminder and this call. God expects us to look like him. So what does it mean to look like our God today? The first one, I think it means that all of us have to do justice. All of us have to look at things that we don't think it's right, and all of us are wired differently. But what we don't think it's right, we have to ask God for help, and then to do the work of making it right. God says if we shine our light, others will see it, and they'll glorify God. So when you think about justice, I want you to think about who in our society would you consider poor? Who would you consider oppressed? How are we loving immigrants among us? Because you have to remember that in the Old Testament, God kept telling his people, remember you were enslaved in Egypt. Remember you were immigrants in this new land. Remember I have blessed you to be a blessing. God's justice looks like loving the poor, loving the oppressed, loving the immigrants. One hard truth for us as Western Christians is that our God, when we read the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, does not side with the powerful, but the weak. And he invites us to the margin to love the weak. The second one is that God's love and Hesed is living like Christ. You know, another thing that no one said in 1999 was we were really cool back then for some of the young people who were not alive. And we had these bracelets, you know, it said WWJD on them. And that's how we knew we were cool. And some of us even had matching colors, you know, depending on what outfit or T-shirt or jeans we were wearing, you know, you had the different thing. But what I love about those bracelets, though, as much as it was a fad for some of us, it was a basic question that I think we need to bring into every relationship, every conversation, every interaction, every policy, everything that we struggle with. Our question has to be what would Jesus do? What does Jesus look like in this? How can I shine and look like Jesus in this? And then the last one how do we walk in shalom it's not just saying oh yeah i'm supposed to be at peace with god others in creation it's got to be work it's got to be work that we're willing to engage in so my prayer for us this morning is no matter how much our world seems on fire our god calls us to be peacemakers no matter how our world sees divided as long as Jesus is in heaven. And we have to remember that Jesus is physically in heaven. He's preparing heaven so it can be perfect for us. But what he's left behind is the Holy Spirit and the church. What is your work in bringing God's justice? What is your work in loving the way Jesus loves? What is your work in bringing peace? Yes, the world is on fire, but praise God, he's called you to help put out that fire and to bring children home. God bless you guys.